0: Trouble in paradise. You ever been there? Not so much paradise, but trouble in it. Last week we left the happy couple in the Garden of Eden. Everything was perfect. Everything was morally sterile. It was a perfect environment. Perfect people that had never... Sinned had never encountered sin, and everything was beautiful. And now that this morning we come to the moment um, where this perfect, happy couple, couple on their honeymoon, if you will, God had created them for that great and blessed union, and in comes the tempter. in comes the devil in the form of a serpent. And he comes in for the purpose, for the purpose, exclusively, to break up the beautiful that God had made. His sole purpose was to absolutely wreck, absolutely wreck and total everything that God had put His hands to. And this morning, as we look at this story of Adam and Eve and the failures, and and, and just for the few moments I have, I'm not going to be able to go through, as volumes of books have been written in regards to the temptation And the fall of man. But this morning we're going to be able to hit some of the really important things. Because here's the good news. Even though the enemy still wants to break up the beautiful. Even though the devil, the world, and our flesh is prone to sin. Even though we have these issues in our life. The good news is this. Even though we experience temptation daily as believers. The good news is the enemy has not changed his method of attack. He still uses, he still has the same M.O. in how he tries to to break up the beautiful in our life. How he tries to wreck and destroy and steal and tear down our lives. So this morning we get an idea of how he brought on this attack on Adam and Eve. And it helps us to better set up a guard in our life so that we may also live and strive For God's best in our life. Because we see what it was like in God's creation. We see that there was no sin. We see that there was abundant opportunities that they had. We see that there was perfect, unhindered unions between man and woman, and man and God. When the enemy came, it changed all of that. I want to read the first nine verses of Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, For God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that was pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, "Where are you?" Let me stop in verse nine. And then the Lord came to them and said, "Adam, where are you? What a great way to end." Our text this morning. The enemy, obviously the devil is our adversary, he's our accuser, he's referred to as a dragon. Peter referred to him as a lion. Jesus referred to him as a thief who only wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus also referred to him as the father of lies. He is a created being. He does have an end and it's recorded in the book of Revelation. And this morning we see his first entry into the scene. He comes in the form of this serpent, very subtle, very cunning, very wise. And in that garden, in that, that moment where there had not been any sin, this serpent, and the, the devil in the form of this serpent comes to Eve and he tempts her. And I want us to notice first this morning, I want us to notice his attack. Because as I said, even though he continues to attack and to tempt us throughout the world system, using our flesh, the weakness of our flesh, he doesn't, hasn't changed his M.O. He still does it the same way. And I want you to notice some really important things. And I see many of you writing this down. And this is good for us to write down to familiarize ourselves with this, that we may in turn not fall for His devices, that we may be wise in His methods and better prepare ourselves to live a life of victory and godliness in Jesus Christ. Notice this first thing in verse 1. It says, He said to the woman, Has God indeed said that you shall not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Did God really say that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, obviously, Satan knew what the situation was. Obviously, Satan knew that, that there were parameters that God had placed on them in the garden. And he comes to her and he says, can you eat of every tree? And of course, Eve replies properly. She knew the commandment. She had heard the commandment. She understood that out of all of the trees that were there for food, that were there beautiful, out of all the trees that were there, there was one that they were not to touch. There was one that they were not to taste. There was one that they were not to handle. And that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I want want you to see what the enemy does when he says that. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? She replies back with the command, word for word. And I want you to think about how the enemy works. The very first thing we notice about his plan is that he brought up a question. He wanted her to question something. Now, obviously, she could eat of all the other trees, but the one she couldn't. And, you know, I think about this in our life, is that sometimes the enemy comes in such a way of temptation as to get us to question the existence of the command. Question the existence or the reality, the presence of the Word of God. You know, there are moments in our life where we may, we may be standing at the threshold of a decision. We may be standing at the crossroads. We may be tempted to do something and we're thinking, hey, wait a second. I, I wonder, is this, what does God say about this? What is God's view of this decision? I mean, as I'm standing here at this crossroads and I can go this way or this way, what does God's word, what does God himself say in relationship to the decision I should make? Which way is right or wrong? Do we have a biblical worldview? Do we use God's Word as a compass and guide in decision making? Because the enemy was attacking the very existence of the command. He was wanting her to get to the point to say, well, you know, I'm not worried about what God says. I don't know that it really really fits. But she didn't do that, to her credit. She said, yes, we can eat of other trees, but this one tree, we cannot. And often he wants to tempt us, To doubt the existence of the command. But notice this second thing in verse 4. Once she says, repeats back that commandment, in verse 4 it says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. You will not surely die. What did God say? You'll die. You touch it, you taste it, you do that, that that day you will surely die. Death will come upon you. So the second attack of the enemy is a little more advanced. He's now not wanting her to question the existence of the command, but get this. The second thing, he's wanting her to question the consequences of disobedience. God said, you do it, you'll die, death will come upon you. The enemy now is saying, you're not going to die. He's trying to put in her mind a question of the consequence of disobedience. And you know what? That happens in our life, and that's a common temptation for us. We may move past the point where we know what God says about it. We know what God's Word may say about that particular moment, that particular crossroads. We may look and say, all right, if I do this, this is right. According to God's Word, and if I do this, this is wrong, according to God's Word. But then we take it a step further, and sometimes that's not enough for us to make that right decision. So we'll say, well, wait a second, what are the consequences for my decision? Well, What's going to happen if I do that thing that I know God doesn't want me to do? What if I do engage in that activity that I know is, is taught against in Scripture? What happens and the enemy wants us to doubt our consequences. He wants to downplay the consequences. He wants us to live a life without any regard to the effect that that sin has on us. A sin doesn't just have a spiritual effect, as the Bible says, because of that sin we have been separated from God for eternity. But sin also has a physical consequence. Sin, as it was in the case of Adam and Eve, they died. You know what? Because we have sinned, we all die. That sin has reigned in our mortal body and it has brought upon death. One sin was enough to separate us forever from a holy God. And it brought about physical death. Brought about spiritual separation. But you know what? The consequences of our sin may even go deeper than just the spiritual and just the physical. We can be emotionally distraught and emotional consequences, relational consequences can come as a result of our disobedience. The enemy, however, doesn't want us to think in terms of consequences. Does not want us to think in terms of what happens if. Does not want us to rest on the promises. Does not want us to turn to the solid Word of God as a foundation. Wants us to live a life without thought or concern for any consequences for our actions. Notice the third and final attack he makes. Verse 5, For God knows in the day you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. Now the enemy has ramped it up. Do you know what he's saying to Eve, guys? You may have heard this in your heart before. When you stand at that crossroads and you know what God's Word says about it, then you understand that there are consequences for that action. The next line of attack on the enemy is this. Hey, God's trying to keep something good from you. God God doesn't want you to do this because it's good for you. It's going to be fun. And God's trying to keep everything good to Himself. And He doesn't want you to have fun. He doesn't want you to enjoy life. He doesn't want you to live in a way where it seems like on the outside everything's great. God is keeping something from you. And that is a common action. That is a common attack of the enemy to think that in walking in obedience, I'm actually being kept from something that is good. You see the, the the amazing thing, the amazing thing about what the enemy is now saying is he is now not just attacking the word of God, but now he is attacking the source of the word of God. He is trying to draw into doubt, into question the character of the creator. He's now saying, God lied to you. You're not gonna die. God is just trying to keep you from being like him. He the audacity of the enemy is insane. If you think that your life or your marriage or your family is off limits to Him, if you think that this church is off limits to the attack of the enemy, let me remind you in His first moment on the scene, He is attacking the character and the nature of a loving, good God. You think your family, you think your life is off limits from his attack? Let me remind you, this is the same man that sought Peter, the disciple, to destroy him. This is the same created being that entered Judas. And this is the same created being that thought that he would be able to tempt Jesus Christ. There are no off limits for him. There's no family that is immune. There's no church that is, that is able to block out. We stand guard. We live lives that we are aware. We live lives defending the truth. Standing for the truth. Practicing the truth. Giving no foothold to the devil. He wanted to question the existence of the command. He wanted them to question the consequences of disobedience. And he wanted them to question the intention of God. The enemy in a short matter of time had managed to turn everything around. That that one tree that was off limits he now made presented as desirable. The God that created them and saw that they had everything wonderful and beautiful and holy. He had managed to turn it around in her eyes where she saw that tree as something that God was keeping from her. What an amazing... We should never underestimate the power... Of the enemy to tempt. He's been at it since the creation of the world. And he knows no limits. He'll attack. He'll tempt. He'll try to destroy. He'll try to corrupt. Anything he can get his hands on that stands and declares the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the attack of the enemy and then we see the fall of man. Verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, And a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons or coverings. First thing is this. In the fall, there were other available alternatives she had were other trees that were good for food she wasn't going to starve god didn't put them in the garden and only give one tree and say you can't eat that tree that's not how it worked god made all these other trees but there was one tree that they were not supposed to eat so she had other alternatives she could have done what was right adam could have done what was right and not ate of the tree they could have chosen to obey the one command of god and to stay away from that tree but they didn't do it but notice the second thing The enemy, the devil in this story, does not take Eve, hold her down on the ground, open her mouth and put the fruit in. He doesn't take the fruit off of the tree and place it in her hands. Nowhere in this story do we understand that the enemy made her do it. She is a free will moral agent. She chose based off of the information that she had and her own own decision, her own guide in her life. She made the decision herself from what she was hearing to reach up and grab that fruit and take it and bite it and then give it to her husband. Nobody made her. Now here's the thing. We often think, wait a second, what's wrong with God? Because why would God put them in the garden and then put a tree there that they're not supposed to touch? Isn't that like putting the cookie jar in the middle of the kitchen with the lid off and telling your kids not to do it? Not to eat it? Isn't that what that's like? Here's the thing. It's not an argument of the goodness of God. It's not an argument about the sovereignty of God. This is the argument. God created in you and me. In His infinite wisdom, He placed within us and wanted to place within us a free will. He wanted us not just to be like the birds that chirp and give glory to Him. He didn't want us to be just like the mountains that passively reflect the glory of God as the the sun reflects off of them. He didn't want us to just be like the oceans in their majesty reflecting the, the depth of the love and the power of God. He wanted us to be a creation that was unlike any other. He wanted us to choose to praise Him. He wanted us to choose to have fellowship with Him. He wanted us to choose to walk close to Him. He wanted us to choose to turn from what was wrong and to turn to what was right. So in doing that, He gave us something that no other creation has and that is that free will. To choose Him. And free will is an amazing thing. Free will only exists truly when we're able to exercise it? Why would God give us a free will and not give us an opportunity to choose to do what is right? That would be like giving me a million dollars and putting me out on a deserted island. What good would it be to give me a million dollars if I can't spend it, right? God placed within Adam and Eve a free will. He wants us to choose Him. And in that choice, He had to place options so they could exercise it. This isn't a flaw in God's design. It's actually the beauty in His design. We're in here today. All across the world. Today. On deserted islands. And underground churches where the sands blow and the ice freezes. Continents are gathering together today as a choice of their own will to praise the name of Jesus Christ, not because they're compelled to, but because they choose to. The beauty of free will is not a flaw of design. It's an awesome implant by the Creator. But I follow Him, not because I'm compelled to, but because I get to. Because I choose to. My faculties have, have convinced me that this in faith is what I need to do. That's what God desires. Notice the last thing about the fall of man. She didn't just dip her toe in, guys. She jumped right in. She did a big old cannonball. She didn't just put her toe across the line. She did hopscotch across the line. Because see, here's the deal. The minimum was that you don't touch it. Don't eat it, but at least... Definitely do not, touch, do not eat it, but at least God says don't touch it. Even if you don't eat it, but you still touch it, God says death is going to come upon you. She doesn't just touch it. She does eat it, and then shares it. Eats, touches it, eats it, and shares it. She didn't just step over the line. She did do a cartwheel over the line. You ever heard that saying that sin takes you further than you ever wanted to go? Keeps you there longer than you ever intended to stay and sends you a bill much higher than you ever wanted to pay? Don't touch it, Eve. Don't eat it. She made a decision to reach out, grab it, touch it eat it, and give it to her husband. There's much we can say about Adam and his decision to eat the fruit. And barring all of that right now at this moment, let me just say both of them are guilty. Barring whatever reasons you may have heard or may have thought or may have studied or may have read, the end of the story is this. Both Adam and... And Eve were guilty here. The pinnacle of God's creation. Made unlike any other created being. Placed in an environment that was reflective of God's glory. And fellowship and union. Everything was perfect. And in a short matter of time. The enemy. the Satan. The deceiver. Comes in and tempts and breaks up the beautiful. Breaks up the union. Breaks Up, what seems to be destruction all around. But I would be remiss if I left, if I ended at the fall of man. Because nowhere in Scripture is the fall of man ever the final word. Nowhere in Scripture do we ever find man's failures being the final sentence. What we find always is the final part of every story, of every outline in Scripture where man's fall is mentioned. We always find God's mercy and faithfulness so let me show you the third and final point look at God's initial response verse 9 guys beautiful words then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him where are you you see what happened was when they sinned and realized they were naked they were ashamed nudity in scripture always speaks of shame And as their eyes were opened and they saw themselves now in a different light, they then realized something needed to be done. So they sewed to themselves the fig leaf bikinis and run off into their trees to hide themselves from God because they don't want Him to be able to see their nakedness. They don't want Him to be able to see their shame. Now Daddy's home and we're in trouble. But notice what happens when they hear His voice, they don't run to Him. When they hear His voice, knowing that He is near, knowing that He is coming to communicate, you see, the only reason they would run from Him is because they know and they are expecting and anticipating fellowship with Him. And when they hear Him coming in the garden the cool of the day, they hear His voice, they do not run to Him in fellowship, but rather they run from Him. And that's what sin does. Sin does not draw us closer to God. Sin always separates us from God, either from shame or guilt that we experience, we sin, we tend to go forward or backwards away from God and try to hide from God, hoping that He won't see us when God is pursuing us. Notice what He does. They're hiding in the trees, away from Him, trying to stay hidden. And God comes and He says, Adam, where are you? Now, wait a second. Pastor, I thought you have said before that God is sovereign. God is infinite in His wisdom. Why would God ask Him a question if He is all-knowing? Even though God is all-knowing, Adam is not. What do you think that communicated to Adam when he hears God say, where are you? Beyond everything else. I believe it tells me one thing about the nature of God, and I see this continued throughout the Scriptures, and it's this, is that God was showing them their value. He was showing them, I love you, And I am pursuing you. Guys, none of us, according to the Scriptures, initiated a relationship with Christ. None of us. There are none that seek after God, the Bible says. We're all like sheep having gone our own way. Every man to his own way. We run away from God. God is the one that runs after us. Here, they messed up big. Huge. But even though they messed up big, God still pursued them. Now obviously when He says, where are you, it's not just showing His pursuit, but it's showing that they needed to come out. They needed to show themselves to Him. He was calling them out from the trees of hiding their sin. He was saying through that one phrase, I love you. I'm going to follow you. And I want you to come out here and have fellowship with me. Today, Jesus said that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to the earth in bodily form. Jesus Christ did not because we asked for Him to. But because that was a part of the passionate pursuit of the Father.